Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Okay, we are recording. All right, guys. Welcome back to Mixed Company. Word. We are here for shit. I don't even know how many episodes we've recorded in this last month, but We've definitely recorded to this. We're recording to this week because um, yes. there's a lot happening. Sam, how you doing? I'm here. That's exactly what the hell it feels like. Okay. Just, I'm here. Um, and luckily, you're not the only one here. We also have... Actually, I, I, can, I think I might be able to go on the record to say this. We've got Shantae bacon us on the call. Um, but Shantae, your episode that we did... I guess at the end of last year was one of the episodes that gave us the most feedback. So you might be, yeah, you actually might be a crowd favorite, but we'll see see how things go after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see about that. (laughs) We'll see how things go. Okay. So we, the three of us are here. We are chit-chatting. As you guys know, we are in the throes of all things Black life and mattering in America and also within the marketing, advertising, uh, entertainment, creative spaces. And quite frankly, um, after the episode we recorded earlier this week, Simeon, Shantae, and I just felt like it was a really good opportunity for us to have an even deeper conversation and not only about, quite frankly, not just about what the white folks are doing, um, but mainly about what are we doing within our own uh, platforms, especially on the DNI side. Um, I think because race is the focus point of a lot of what's going on in the media, as you may imagine, if you work at a brand or at an agency, all of a sudden it's all eyes on your DNI teams. I mean, I think it's important for us to, as critical as we are about the industry, I um, mean, as critical as we are about agencies, I think it is even more important and some, you know, feel free to correct me if you mm-hmm. feel differently, but I think it's even more important for us to be critical of ourselves yeah. um, because this moment that so many people are saying is such a, a short gap that we have to create, to create change. Um, I'm going to need us to create a little bit more change than we have over the last 25 years. Um, yeah. so. I mean, you're 100% correct. I think um, everybody should be open to criticism. Like criticism is how you get to the good shit. Uh, and somebody just said this the other day, and I can't remember who said it, but it's uh, try, fail, fail better. Like that is the way that we're supposed to be operating at this point. Nobody's expecting anybody to get it right. But I think we need to get out of the space of doing shit the old way because the old way has not worked, which is why we need to have this conversation. A hundred percent. So before we get into that, because as you guys can imagine, we probably fired up. <laughs> We've seen lots of shit on the news. We didn't read all the op-eds on the on the interwebs and uh, the interwebs, interwebs, all of them. Um, So let's kind of start off with our favorite time of the day, and that's dope shit and ain't shit. Um, I'm going to start off, kick off with some dope shit. So uh, as we mentioned, a lot of people are activating around the cause, the causes, um, specifically spotlighting the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, countless others, especially in the trans community that have um, been violently murdered at the hands of police. Um, And, you know, as we've been saying on this show, like it's not really, we really just don't think that it's our job to sit here and educate people on shit that like exists. Like Google came 
and change the world, let's not just use Google um, for for frivolous shit. Let's use it to educate ourselves. And so if you are near your computer right now, you can go to endyoursilence.nyc. That's E-N-D, your silence at .nyc. Um, as this is a website specifically for non-Black people who find, who, who identify as allies in this fight for equity uh, for Black people and advancement for Black people so that you can do a couple of things. You can educate yourself, you can donate, and you can find resources if you do find yourself in a situation where you're protesting and you are apprehended by police. Um, this, I think, the reason why I find this to be dope shit is because, you know, Black people didn't ask for this to be created. This is a resource by non-Black black people for non-Black people um, in the sentiment of trying to ally with Black people. And I think that is going to be extremely important as we move forward, not just within our industry, um, but within culture so that everyone has their own set of accountabilities and they also have resources to find out how to do so. So again, that's endyoursilence.nyc. And I'll make sure that we tweet that out later so you all can take a look. Dope shit. Uh, my dope shit is is kind of similar. Um, I mean, the last the last episode we talked about brands that were making a stand and finally found the courage, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, to um, finally say Black Lives Matter. And one of the things that we talked about when we were you know doing the last episode is you know how much of this is uh, our empty statements. And so for strategists within advertising took it upon themselves to put together a very comprehensive list of all the brands that have said some sort of Black Lives Matter statement or, you know, have pledged a solidarity in the last couple of days. And they've basically broke down how many of them are saying things and how much, how many of them are doing things. So we talked about Nike. They were one of the brands that they highlighted where, you know, they made the statement, but they didn't do anything, but they also highlighted a lot of the brands that were actually putting money behind uh, justice efforts. Right. So donating to bail funds, donating to the grassroots organizations that are actually on the ground trying to make change. And I think that is a thing that I'm glad that they put this list together because it's hard to keep up with, all of the brands at this point because everybody's jumping on the bandwagon because it's in vogue. So to actually be able to see the, the lack of real solidarity, which is what black people are asking for. We're asking for, for action at this point was very eye opening, and they put it together. I mean, it's, it's kind of petty, but <laughs> the, the reality of it is it's a great case study for people, whether you're black, white, or anything in between. If you are working with, with brands and agencies that are looking to make change, you can go there and see actually what change looks like and what people are actually looking for from these brands who are looking to um, be a part of solutions. So I thought that was really dope. In the same vein, I'm not going to like go too much into detail, but the ain't shit is one of those brands or one of those agencies that did make a statement was Havas Health. And we talked about this on, you know, the last episode, you know, people need to clean their houses Mm -hmm. and they made this statement. And then one of their old employees that I'm gathering, they fired, um, went onto their, um, their IG and basically said, y'all ain't shit. And they deleted the statement, right? So I think as we're... All right, they deleted the person's statement. Yes. They did not delete their statement, which yes. is the problem. Wow. Right. What was the so, name of the company? 
how about I felt? Out. So, you know, as right. we're as we're talking about, you know, making change, I think is really imperative. And I, and I wrote this on LinkedIn the other day, uh, a lot less eloquently, uh, that as we are talking about change, the people who are who are now stepping into the space that we've been asking you to step into for the last seven, eight years, that you really look internally at your organization and figure out why it took you so long to say Black Lives Matter. What are you actually doing to ensure that the the lives of your employees matter? And what are you, like what policy changes are you making to make sure that it doesn't take you another seven four, or four years to make a statement that makes us feel like you actually care? So it's a two for one, dope shit and ain't shit. Havas, one, thanks. <laughs> Havas Health, ain't shit. Uh, and to Lexi, I just actually put this uh, thing again. I actually wanted to shout out their names. Uh, Lexi Perez, Julian Cole, Stephanie Vitaga, and Davis Ballard, dope shit for, for taking the time to put yeah. together a list of over 75 brands and agencies that have made uh, a statement in the last year and like really breaking it down for us to see that uh, as simply as possible. So kudos to y'all. You know, it's just so frustrating to even continue to hear these things. So I, I, I did confidential, well, confidentially, I had a confidential conversation, so I won't say names, places or anything, but I had a conversation earlier with someone um, who, who noted that, you know, they felt that their team was rushing to put out a statement on, on the, the protest and the, the violence and all of that. And this person was, you know, they were like, candidly, I at, at one point I was wondering if I was wrong for pushing back on them for just rushing to release something. And I was like, isn't that the bullshit? Like, this is literally, and I had to put this on also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram the other day, because I wanted people to see. Shout out to the 150,000 views that it actually got. But just LinkedIn famous. Thank you, friend. <laughs> but, you know... It's like you're not thinking. You guys really, like we, as an industry, we are in the business of asking people before we do something for you, why do you want us to do this? That is literally the point of the brief to understand in order to build a strategy, we need to know why we're doing it. And instead of building a strategy around what your support should look like for not just the people on the outside, but the people that are inside your systems, Y'all are rushing to just not, we just don't want to be the last one on the Black Mm. Lives Matter train. And you know what? Your people are feeling that shit. They're feeling that shit and you're phony as fuck. Like you are so, and and you is the plural of you. If you know you didn't do this and you know this comment isn't for you. If you're feeling your spirit that I might be tugging at something, it's okay for your feelings to be hurt. But if you feel like this is an opportunity to promote your services or to promote, you know, that you got black friends and your, you know, your girlfriend's children are black and you take care of them like they're your own and all of this bullshit. You're a part of the problem. Or if it's just an effort to not be last and just so that you put absolutely no thought into it and whatsoever. You just made a statement. You made a statement. Words mean things and words that mean things make people feel things. Yeah. And if your words and are empty, you handle your everyday business that way. Why would you handle, would you that? handle that? Like, where's the sympathy and empathy? So I was extremely pissed off by some of the posts that I saw this uh, this time around. Because I guess, you know, people were like, well, last time you said, you know, we had to say something. Yeah, but we also said, say it if you mean it, not if you don't. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like the brief is how do we make people feel like we're good people instead of how do we actually be effective and like lend our our privilege and our platform to change. And so it's not about the change. You just want people to think that you're good people, which is bullshit. And we can tell that it's bullshit. And I think I, I think it's an insult because I feel like you think I'm oh. stupid. No. You think I'm stupid. And, and going a step further, the brief could just be, how do we just not be dragged for not saying anything? Word. Could just be that. It's frustrating. Shanta, have you seen anything going on? Or I have. So the dope shit for me today um, was Alexis Ohanian. So he's better known as Serena Williams' husband mm-hmm. and baby daddy. And he um, made a statement today that you know, I, I, I'm all about giving credit where credit is due and mm-hmm. applauding people who want to be white allies, right? And what does that mean? Um, at my company at 135th, my team will tell you, but definitely anybody who has a five-minute conversation with you will, will tell you that I'm all about the action, right? I'm so mm-hmm. tired of the words and how they use those to lull us to sleep and, you know, distract you or get you focus, off focus. Um, somebody who takes action and didn't need to be told to do it or didn't need to ask people, what can I do? And then then be told to do it. But he resigned his board seat today at the company that he created and founded at Reddit. He resigned his board seat specifically so that they can replace him with a person, uh, an African-American board member. And here comes the phone ringing. Sorry about that. Um, And so, you know, that the fact that he the fact that he did that in such a conscious way where he's going to say, I'm resigning my seat so that a person, an African-American person can be added to the board um, of a huge tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, that right there is, is one thing all in, on, in, in its own. But also taking action to me is always putting your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are many layers of social justice, activism, um, empowerment, criminal justice. The one piece that I feel like as African-Americans we don't ever address is the economic piece. And that is the part where we need to see more action all the time. I don't want to hear about your statement or what language, like I know that Republic Records just put something out today that they're dropping the word urban from their <coughs> departments. That's cute. But where's the money going? Is the, is the concept of an urban budget going away? Because that's, that's a major marginalizer right there. Like, right. How, how are you going to actually walk that talk? Right. And so he's putting $1 million to Colin Kaepernick's uh, Your Rights Camp. That's the first thing he's doing. Mm-hmm. Then he pledged millions of dollars to fight systemic racism and injustice in the African-American community. But to me, I feel like that statement was dope shit because um, I feel like, you know, this was the big missing piece in the partnership between Jay-Z and the NFL. I got where he was trying to go with it, but because he didn't force them to come to the table with some kind of financial compensation to the one person who was blackballed from his career for standing up, that, yep. that was the missing void in yep. that partnership. It had all the good intentions in the world, but you didn't make them do right by right. the person who is still out there blacklisted and is not. The, the, yep. the NFL made a collective bargain.
bargaining agreement amongst the brotherhood that that we none of us is going to offer this guy a job. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of anything he's done. It's about the stance that he took. And so the fact that the first million dollars that Alexis Ohanian is going to put out is going to be to, to Ka- Ka- Kaepernick's organization to me, that's that's beyond dope. The, yeah. the, the board seat and the money going to him beyond dope. To me, the ain't shit of the moment. Um, and um, 135th put a statement out about this two days ago. But to me, it's black celebrities, specifically black celebrities who um, I don't know if it's if it's paral- analysis paralysis um, or if it's trying to protect their brand. But in this moment right here, it should not be hard for you to be enraged. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard for you to make a statement that's coherent and makes sense and not the wrong statement. And it, it just seems to me like, you know, and I said this to my clients because I, I push my clients all the time. If you guys are going to constantly pressure black viewers, black music consumers, black people who go out and go see movies to build you up and yep. build your brand and make you famous and yep. put you on the list and make it possible for you to get cast in movies and cast on television shows and get a record deal then the least you could do is when they need you, you show up. You don't be like, oh, I'm protecting my brand. If that's the case and you go into self-protective mode when people need you, then they don't need to be giving you that privilege or that platform because you're not using it. You you give a platform to somebody who is going to use it. And to me, um, I think it's stunning Um, I I mean, I see a couple of them out there saying things and never anybody who goes all the way, but they go as far as they're comfortable with. Um, But there's a couple people out there, but the vast majority of black celebrities have, I mean, been MIA is an understatement. Where the hell are you right now? You should be leading these movements, not the young people who are out there getting their head bashed in and getting beat down. There's young white people who are being way more aggressive about this moment than black celebrities even. I mean, you have to give credit where it's due. The reason why this is an inflection point and why this feels different from every time in the past is because it's not just black people who are out there mad as hell, enraged, saying, I'm not taking this anymore. I don't find this acceptable. It is young white people, young Hispanic people, Indians. I mean, everybody, Asian kids, there's everybody out there. And they are saying collectively, I I will not be silent about this anymore because what I saw on camera made me so sick to see a man literally with his hands in his pocket, enjoying watching the life drain out of another man. And he was enjoying it so well. I mean, you know, they, that, that, that collective horror that everyone all over the world has. But the one group that can't figure out how to put the money where your mouth is or to say something coherent yeah. is black celebs. Where are you right now? What happened here? You should be, I mean, if, if that's the case, then that means that you're either you're living a life of privilege so good that you are disconnected and don't remember what life was like before you got there, which is its own horror. But it's either that or 
they've done such a good job at brain brainwashing you to believe that you're different, you're special, you're better than. There's a reason why you get this platform and working class blacks don't that mm-hmm. you really are believing the hype because I really do believe that that's a strategy. They let one person in the door at a time by saying there's something special. You're my brilliant Negro. You're so talented. This is why you get a chance to be here and everybody else doesn't. And if you're buying into that to the point where you don't even know how to address the moment, (laughs) they don't need to give you that platform. So that's definitely the ain't shit group right there. And I'm speaking specifically for the people who can't figure out what to say. Right. There's something to be said, too, because you mentioned like the idea of the brand. Um, and I think it goes back to, you know, these statements from the agencies and, and these other uh, other brands uh, where people just really associate brand with statements. They yeah. don't think about the actual actions. And right now, what we're looking to what we're looking for from people who have privilege and have platforms is what are you willing to sacrifice or what are you, what are you willing to invest into the solution? So right. that means if you're white, you need to be willing to lose some friends because mm-hmm. everybody's not going to be on board with you saying Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're Black and you have privilege and you have power, that means you need to be willing to sacrifice a piece of that platform because you got to that platform because by not saying it. yes. Right. Yeah. Because you have it to lose. And that's and and listen, did you guys all watch the Black Lives Matter protest in London? No, but someone was texting me while it was going on. I was John Boyega said, I may not even have a career after today, but F it. This is how I feel. Where's everybody else? (laughs) Like he was like, I may not even have a career after this moment. But effort. And he was like, we need to be, he said, black men, I'm speaking specifically to you. We need to be protecting our black women. They are our hearts. They are our backbone. Why are we not there for them? Like, you know, they, I mean, perfectly stated and it wasn't rocket science and it came from the heart and you could see it. Why does everybody else need a team of Hollywood publicists to craft what you're going to say? I was, that was the tweet. Yeah, you been, I did see that. I mean, I'm just like, you need a team to help you out in this moment. Like this is the one time you don't need them. This right. should be coming from your toes, from your heart, from your soul, from your collective experience, from your cousin that right. got killed a few years ago, right. from the struggles right. you saw your mom go through your whole life. Every NBA player, every, every, everybody, every actor and actress in Hollywood, every music celebrity, don't cry over Gucci. I mean, they're going to be all right. I'm just saying, they're going to be all right. I'm like, just where where are you? Like you guys are the ones that are going silent right now. This is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. It feels like it's because a lot of, of, of this idea that, you know, in order to sustain Sustaining a brand means um, kind of, what am I trying to say? Sustaining a brand means that you have to appease the the mainstream, a.k.a. white people, white audiences. The only way to do that is with them. And that by somehow, somehow, if you ever appease your Black audiences, specifically, your black audiences that that is somehow detrimental to your business, even as a as an influencer, as a celebrity, etc. And I think that that's the problem. The problem is that you feel that you need people. The problem is that you feel that you have to have their approval in order to sustain a career. When well, the reality is, when the reality is, sometimes when you say some shit, they fuck with you anyway. 
They fuck with the shit you're saying. And if you're not the one to say it and it doesn't get said, that's the problem. That is how you feed into these challenges that we continue to experience. So it's funny you bring that up, Shantae. We can go ahead and transition. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can go ahead and transition. So our topic today is more so on accountability for those of us. And I'll put myself in the center of it because as you guys know, that is the work that I am doing for my nine to five now, but those of us that work in the inclusion space, um, because this isn't just an important uh, point in our culture where celebrities and and, and politicians are the only ones that have to step up. We have to step the fuck up too. Mm -hmm. Because even Shantae, to your point, the roles that we have are also ours to lose right now, mm-hmm. right? Because we're in a situation where the the idea of inclusion or the, the discipline of inclusion has been around for maybe 40 years. Before that, you know, it was um, affirmative action. Before that, we called it other shit too. But inclusion as a space where you can build a career it's ours to lose if we don't actually show progress and change. We don't get to just sit in our seats and sit in, well, not in our offices, but sit at our computers, you know, post COVID 2020 and talk about change and talk about giving people opportunity and talk about including more people and talk about uplifting and amplifying culture. And it doesn't happen. I see at the end, there is no end, but at the turn of all of this, when the conversations Um, start to reach a more clear boiling point at our leadership tables, the question is going to be, what what have you done? We have all of these programs in place and we done did all these happy hours and y'all got all these trainings that y'all done had people sign up for and pay these millions of dollars, but what have we done? So um, it's gonna, yeah, we're talking about accountability in the DNI space and I'm gonna let this motorcycle pass because you know it's Brooklyn and it's warm outside, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what's happening. But um, this the topic kind of came to light during an event that uh, Shantae, Simi, and I attended back in February, um, where we were, you know, honoring a lot of our Black leaders. And we noticed that the majority of leaders, Black leaders that we were honoring are people from the DNI space. And I think the initial question was, well, damn, if we didn't have DNI, you know, would any of these people be getting honored right now? Would any of us uh, be having jobs? So, Shantae, I want to, if you don't mind, I, I want to dig deeper because you were the one to pose that question. Like, what what were you getting at and what, what exactly did you mean at that point? So what, the main thing that I meant when I, I was sitting at the awards ceremony and there was a panel discussion going on and it was from the perspective of someone who was in DNI and who feels like it's been a highly successful journey and and that's a completely different generation and that kind of thing. And so I said to myself, if they got rid of every diversity and inclusion gig, how many senior C-suite level executives who are, are, are that are African-American would exist? And mm-hmm. I mean, as I looked around the room, there was not a single one. There was not a chief creative officer or a chief marketing officer or a CEO in a in a you know, in a billion dollar enterprise where they have mergers and acquisitions department and they have a stock symbol um, on the New York Stock Exchange. There was there would not be a CEO, a CMO, a chief creative creative officer or chief communications officer or like no C-suite title whatsoever 
And to me, I knew this already, but the fact that, you know, when I was sitting there, I was like, I wish this panel was less of a panel and more of a debate because I feel like had we had more debates um, about the DNI and the role of it and the impact of it yeah. and the results of it, that we would be further along in, in where we are. Mm-hmm. As a 40 year industry, in my opinion, a lot of it is distraction, um, a lot of pacifying. Um, and that's not to take anything away from, you know, a lot of people who are in it who feel like they've made a lot of progress. You know, I'm sure from their perspective, they have made some some major milestones. But as a whole, the advertising industry is one of those industries where for 15 years, I've been hearing the same feedback from young African-Americans who want an entry in, who want some upward mobility, who want a seat at the table, who want signing power on a budget, who want a C-suite title. Nothing has changed, yeah. right? Unless if your dream is to be a chief diversity officer, you may luck up and get one of those because there's one of those at every company. But it's just one. And then not only that, if they decided to get, I mean, right now we're at a moment where um, from criminal justice reform to like this moment is so crazy. Every month we're living a year, right? <laughs> you were. And this, this week was such a long year, y'all. Yes. <laughs> Think of who you were on February 20th. <laughs> you, lived, you lived three lifetimes. I was a traveling broad, okay? okay. I was Whoever from you were now. Whoever you were on February 20th, you weren't on March 20th, you weren't on April 20th, you weren't on May 20th, and you won't be on June 20th. So now is a moment where things are happening so fast. We already have, I mean, if you just think about it, our biggest concern the last week in January was impeachment. That feels like it was a lifetime ago. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, impeachment was like four or five months ago. And then after that coronavirus hit with like a, like a, like a, like a atom bomb all over everybody. And so, you know, then they came that. And then in, uh, in the last two weeks or 10 days, <laughs> the George Floyd thing happened and the Amy Cooper thing in, in Central Park happened. Yeah. And so right now, I feel like if we come out of this moment and go back to the status quo in any part of our lives, it would have been a massive failure. Mm-hmm. And that means something different for every part of our lives. So when you talk about criminal justice reform, right, I think people are now getting to see how institutional the protections are for police. Right. right. It's not just the police. Everybody's a part of the racket. The medical examiner is willing to lie and say whatever they have to say to make sure that a case can't be brought against them in court. The person who's selecting the jury is making sure that they go to the most conservative Fox News viewer to go and populate the jury. That's why a a grand jury in America, whether they're in Minneapolis, whether they're in St. Louis, whether they're in Los Angeles, whether they're in New York City, in Staten Island, they can watch a man take his last breath on camera and never figure out why this person deserves to go to jail. Like, I mean, you know, Philando Castile, you said take out his ID. He's taking out his ID. You shoot him sitting in the car, but you had time to call 911. You would try to save him if he was a dog on the street. Same as Eric Garner. We watched him take his last breath. We watched Philando Castile take his last breath. We watched video of Mike Brown laying on the street for four hours. And the grand jury can't seem to understand why this is actually criminal. 
that's not by mistake. It's because they went and picked exactly the right people who would never understand why this person is a human being. And right. so it's the medical examiner, it's the jury, it's the, uh, the jury selection, it's the police union and how they are in cahoots with the prosecutor. It's layers upon layers upon layers. It's not about, oh, the cop got fired. I mean, I bet a lot of people don't know that the cop who, who killed Tamir Rice got a job with back pay at two counties over because That's the police heard, union right. went and got him another job. And he got paid for all those back days. So they get a paid vacation and the police union goes and gets them a job. So now people are starting to wonder, why is it 28 years after L.A. in 1992 and we're right back in the same position? We do not accept this. And that video was that horrifying that it's bringing all races together to say this, 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 this can't continue. So right. that's on the criminal justice reform piece. Then there's that piece that I just talked about with celebrities and brands. Why is it that a John Boyega, who is a damn good actor, who is in Star Wars, even he knows and can publicly acknowledge, I may not have a career after today. Why is he saying that? Because it's true. Because the Hollywood gatekeepers punish Negroes who get out of their place. And we have seen it a million times. And why is that okay? Because nobody's ever tackled that either. We, we barely started holding Hollywood and television accountable for the decisions that they make in hiring and casting and programming and, you know, shows. It's not good enough that you put Empire on the air. Right. <laughs> it's just, that's just not good enough. It's not good enough that you have a Shonda Rhimes, just one. It's just not fine. good enough. That's not good enough anymore. Something else has to happen. We, you black people, black women are some of the most loyal TV viewers. If we're going to make your TV shows work, you need to figure out how to, to meet us halfway and get some black women and C-suite titles over there and figure out why people cannot speak candidly without fear of being punished for yeah. getting out of their Negro place. That is not acceptable. And particular to take, come full circle when you're talking about the advertising and marketing industry, we have to figure out a way that black people cannot continue to be pacified right. with diversity jobs. And that's it. I'm not saying get rid of them, but I'm saying that there's a little black girl out there dreaming about being the head of marketing for the entire organization. Is she ever going to come close to that? There's right. a little black girl somewhere who wants to be your chief legal counsel. Yep. There's a little black girl who's out there somewhere who wants to be your chief creative officer and she's dreamed about doing creative for the entire organization. Is she going to have that chance or when it's time for her to go up the ladder, the only thing available to her is to wait until the last chief diversity officer retires. Right. That's that's not real. Like and it's not sustainable. And the bottom line is we have to stop celebrating, um, you know, the 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 pacification of the real you know, goal. Right. <laughs> the, the, we're, we're, we're celebrating mediocrity we're in terms of what we're going to get out of it. We can't continue to do that. Like we, we, we have to um, demand that um, diversity and, and we have to hold our, as, as a people, we have to hold each other accountable. We have to hold our black celebrities accountable. We have got to hold our black politicians accountable. Like to me, when people complain about the fact that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker's uh, presidential candidacies came to an end and they're like, oh, you're mad at the wrong people. I mean, there are more than enough wealthy black celebrities who could have kept both of their campaigns 
alive until the very last minute. Why Both of them suspended their campaigns because they could not raise money. That doesn't make any sense to me with the amount of Black people who are out there who are wealthy, who um, have money to burn, who spend it on little stupid stuff. Like, why, if you want to see a Black president, get behind one and, and ride it as far as you possibly can. Not do a panel for them. Put your money where your mouth is. When we talk about um, the advertising industry, the diversity executives owe it to every black person who wants to be in advertising that if you were empowered with the C-suite title, there needs to be some radical change. And I know that gives them hives and they're like, oh my God, they're trying to put my job in jeopardy. It's not always about self-preservation. I think it's a lot of people that can't take it. And I, like, I, I, I don't... I think I personally agree that it's self-preservation. I don't think a lot of people see it that way. And I want to take it back because I feel like your your point about pacifying, right? And then the goals and the work. I think the challenge that I have, and it's, it's ironic that I came into this role. And my boss will tell this story all the time. The first time she came to me and she was like, you know, would you ever consider doing this? I said, hell no. Those people don't do nothing. Literally don't do nothing. You know, I think we sit on these calls and Simeon told me about a call he was on earlier where people like, you know, we're doing this for our children. And I'm like, that's the fucking problem. You're doing this for your children. That's self-preservation. And as we're doing this for your children, when you started in this business 30 years ago, you were talking about doing it for your children then. I am your children. I am 30 years old. I am here now. I am telling you that I I could not get past an associate director role without coming into this side of the business. And not to say that the work that I'm doing isn't isn't important, isn't useful, isn't necessary, but you want to know something the skills that I have make me qualified to grow, to go up the ladder as a chief operating officer. And that the 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 chances of me becoming a chief operating officer for a company, for a company the size of most of these agencies, mm-hmm. is very small. Mm-hmm. I would likely have to go to a startup or start my own, which is the other conversation people always want to have. Why don't you go start your own? There should be multiple avenues of yeah. success for Black people. Yeah. And while we're in, and while we are the ones that are working in inclusion, we do need to focus on just as those of us that come from the agency side and that have worked in marketing. We do have to focus on what our goals are. What is the brief? Why are we here? My my perspective, we're fighting the wrong battle on the DNI side. We're mm-hmm. trying to change people's minds about who they are. When I don't need you to change your mind, I need you to change this policy. Yeah. And there's this idea that if I could just win you over and love you enough to understand that I too am a person and I like ice cream just like you do. And I go to the theme parks with my family <laughs> and I like Disney World and we're just alike, that maybe you will then create policies and allow for infrastructure to open up to allow for more black success. And that's not how that works. Quite no, frankly, instead of quite frankly, instead of instead of trying to to change minds and train people out of their racism. What and, and covering their racism because that's what that is. It's just mm. covering the systemic racism. And you're helping to preserve it. It's for helping to preserve. It's not dismantling it. And that is the problem. It's the system that we have to change, not the people. The people will die out, they will retire out. 
they will leave. But if we do not address the issues that have happened with the system, and if we don't fix the system and change the system, that is still going to be there for your children that 30 years from now, now I got to deal with, and they're going to ask me, why mm-hmm. is it still the same? And mm-hmm. I'm going to tell them, it's your fault. I'm not taking that. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, that call that I was on earlier, uh, it infuriated me to my, to my, to my soul because one, if we were, and, and this is no shade to teachers, but if we were teachers, I would say, all right, cool. I, I get why you don't have answers, but in this business that we're in, we're in the business of solving problems, right? For us to have all of this genius at our, our fingertips and to not look at it and go to your, to Kai's point of what's the brief, where are we actually trying to get to? Like, Mm -hmm. what are we actually trying to do? And I've asked this question and there's always a distraction, right? There's always this talk about diversity training and bias training and how we need to upskill black people so that they're qualified for these roles. Upskilling. There's no brief and nobody wants to measure change. Nobody wants to to actually put something tangible on the table that is achievable. And so it is a distraction. It is a pacification of black people. Um, And it's done for, here's the other thing. This was the, the thing that really like threw me off of my, (laughs) my chair was they said that we needed to give people grace um they they said that we needed to give white people grace and i said i'm sitting there going well what about the grace for black people (laughs) like as we're talking and you mentioned the economic part about this as we're talking the data shows that if we keep going down this path by 2053 the median black household wealth is going to be zero Mm-hmm. This contributes to it. So if we're sitting here really talking about change, then we need to start looking at the economic impact. And if we're sitting there waiting to train people, waiting to create programs to train people, we're going to be sitting here talking about this in 2053, going, this is for our children. Like, and right. The, and the tangible, endless. Yeah, and that, just, and that's, it's like, it's like, it's the like, same conversation every day. A, it's like pulling or, t- or twisting a hamster wheel sometimes. It's like, oh, well, we're going to offer mentorship and we're going to offer internships and we're going to train the people that are oppressed. And then we're going to hold trainings. Like the whole concept of a bias training is, is, is almost triggering for me right now. Right. Because it's this concept that if people can identify where their biases come from, maybe they'll actively choose against it. And I get it. You know, folks tell me all the time how radical they think I am. But I don't think it's radical to say, fuck your feelings and fuck what you think. I just need you to do the practical thing and to go in and we actually need to rewrite our bylaws on what our what our hiring practices are. We actually need to go in and rewrite our policies on what the promotion process looks like. We actually need to go in and re- revisit. And this is and these are to me, these are things that we in the DNI community should be saying that, you know, we need to look at uh, if, if we're saying there's not enough black people in specific spaces, it can't be because all of the black people that work with us aren't capable. Maybe we need to go in and reevaluate whether they've actually been promoted or whether they're working at a proficient level um, for, a, for a certain level. 
I can't tell you how many times I've had to say this year to people. It's not that you need to go out necessarily and find a black creative director. You probably have a black creative director working for you right now that hasn't been able to get past ACD. Right. That hasn't been able to get past art director. You probably have uh, uh, you probably have an SVP of strategy, but you've kept that person at the senior manager level for so long that they've just said, fuck it, I'm going to go start my own consultancy. Yeah. You or see what worse, I'm saying? They keep the job and they give 25% of themselves. Because yeah. that's like a dream dying. They were yeah. fired up in the beginning. After a while, they're like, you know what? It doesn't matter if I bring 150% of myself or 50% of myself, I'm going to get the same thing. Yeah. So let me just show up every day like a ghost. I've been that person. I've been that person because you you devalue me or you don't value me so much that you don't even realize that the 100% you think I'm giving you is actually only my 25%. Yeah. Imagine imagine how much more utility you could get out of me and power you could get out of me if it was a mutual relationship of, of us valuing each other business organization to human as a resource mm-hmm. you would be able to move so much faster if if you could just give me the respect i deserve but instead and i've been that person at the agency level to be like fuck it you don't care anyway mm-hmm. bruh so let me go ahead and start this podcast bro and i'm gonna take that and do what i want with it let me go ahead and start this blog bro and since i'm hearing your wi-fi is better i'm gonna download all my images here like Stop mm-hmm. giving people stop giving people the excuse to devalue you because you've never valued them from the opportunity. And that to me is where our inclusion leaders should be putting their noses. That's where the work is. The work is in the system. The work is not about changing minds. If people want to figure out what their biases are and how to stop it, that's what therapists are for. <laughs> and nobody working on none of this is a licensed therapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to be sitting there and telling people about themselves is literally doing nothing. And then in addition to that, I don't understand like, you know, there's a conversation that happened the other day and everyone said, oh, well, it was a generational divide. And I'm like, have have people been in their roles so long that they forgot that they forget what the experiences are? Yes. That, and like, but if that's the case, then why wouldn't since you want to train people so damn bad on understanding their blind spots? Why can't we do a little bit more training so that we can understand what our blind spots are? But then like it doesn't make know, sense to know this, the blind spot becomes the person who's been in the gig too long. Yeah. They become literally the blind spot because they are frustrating the person on the bottom and they're pacifying the people on the top and they become the actual obstacle that they're there to get rid of. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, they... The first thing that the industry as a whole needs to do is take a big lesson from what's happening out on the street with social justice activism and apply those principles internally. Because the whole concept of 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 people who are want to be white allies saying, well, I don't know. How can I help? I don't want to get anything wrong. Number one, you need to know how ridiculous it is that you would say you don't want to get anything wrong because I think you fail to realize how much I don't care what you want. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's first. Number two, okay. you're making it about what you want. Number two, Ooh. please don't add to my list of work or burdens with tasking you uh, or coming up with a list for you. Baby. Like, we have enough work to do as Black people. Please don't ask me to do more work 
for you. This is not, that's not what's going on here. And number three, you should be proactive in doing the work and saying, okay, here's what I was thinking. Can I run this by you? And you let me know if this is something that could work or couldn't. I respect that so much more than what can I do? What can I do makes me feel like, so you want people to just feed it right to you because you're not going to be proactive or look into it yourself or anything. Those, those are the first three. And then the fourth thing is, I do think the generational divide is the obstacle. It is. Because I feel like when you look out on the streets, what's making the difference and why these protests are so effective in terms of keeping the conversation going. Today, Minneapolis outlawed the chokehold and getting those officers arrested. I mean, these are all minor, little, tiny, itsy-bitsy pieces of progress, but they're happening because young white people and young people of every different di- uh, of every different ethnicity are saying i do not accept this any longer if you can apply that internally in the advertising industry and it unfortunately it's run by people who have been in it for 30 40 years and they're not letting go of the grip but if the advertising industry can have somewhat of a of a um of a a, a, refle- a moment of reflection and realize that a lot of people who are used to how it used to be they are the obstacle because what you really want is some of these young people who look at this status quo and they say, I do not accept this anymore. And that's when things will start to change because if you're looking for change from people who benefit from the status quo, that's never going to happen. That's like asking uh, um, uh, one of the guys who makes a whole a ton of money off of, you know, pharma and big, I mean, healthcare and big pharma, asking them to change change to Medicare for all. They're not doing that. They're like, what is it? Got any crazy? I'm going to cut off my own money. <laughs> like, no. So if they're benefiting from the status quo, you're not going to get much change there. However, you need to let them know why this doesn't work for us moving forward and why we are not going to be shy about letting you know it does not work. Um, right. As soon as Roger Goodell put that letter out last week, Black Twitter collectively let him know, <laughs> yeah, no, that's not good enough, right? Because, you know, he just there. knew. I know his people worked o- overnight on that. And they just thought they put the, the period on the sentence and it was done. And they were like, yeah, this doesn't mean anything. Throw this in the trash. Come back with something better. And the truth is, is that we need to be applying that kind of, uh, of, yep. of intolerance to status quo everywhere. Because yep. when people say, how can I help? How you can help is you can stop accepting the status quo. Yes. You can go to your boss and say, why are there no African-Americans in C-suite roles around here? Why, is, why do all the Black people have one path for advancement and that's in the DNI department? That's, that's not going to work anymore. Like That's what you can do is speak up about that and let them know like that is not going to work around here anymore. We, we just can't have it. And really mean it when you say it. Also, I think that the bi- a big part of it is in, instead of having all these meetings and, and the panels and discussions about, like you said, trying to convince them that we're people too and we, we like to swim and go on vacation just like you do. <laughs> what you really need to do is rerun that video from Central Park where Amy Cooper called the cops to get that manager. The reason why... That video to me is so key for any corporation. And I know that they it's probably going to sound crazy at first. But when most black people watch that video, they weren't thinking, you know, initially you're like, oh, look, 
she's this is this is Karen in action on camera. Uh, Normally, you don't get that on camera, right? You uh, never see it. You you know these microaggressions happen, but you don't see it. She performed like she was in a stage play on Broadway with the tears and everything because he challenged her because he got out of his Negro place and tried to tell her what to do. And most of the people that I know in my inner circle, the first thing we did was we started thinking about how this applies in the workplace. Yeah. Because she, in that moment, was just walking her dog. But when she leaves there and she goes to her senior position in whatever company, or whatever industry she's in, how many times did a Black woman disagree with her or get out of her Negro place or a Black person said something she didn't like? or didn't properly, you know, rub her ego the right way. And instead of, you know, being a, a direct communicator or, uh, or taking in the, receiving the moment, how many times did she say, oh, you got out your Negro place? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make you pay. Cause that was what that phone call was. Oh, you're I'm going to make you pay. That's what that phone call was. Or say things like you're being, I feel like you're being aggressive. Aggressive. I feel like, I feel like you're being angry. Please mm-hmm. stop yelling at me. I feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. You're making like me uncomfortable. To escalate this. Absolutely. Why are you attacking me? Why oh. are you attacking me? I feel attacked. I feel, <laughs> I feel judged. But the point is, is that that video shows it in action yeah. in a different way. And those microaggressions, real talk, are the enemy of all people of color and their advancement within corporations, period, advertising corporations, financial investment banking, you name it. Those little microaggressions is what drains the, the enthusiasm, passion, the creativity from people of color, because they realize that for every little thing that they say that that person doesn't like when they get out of their Negro place, they're though the microaggression is going to pop up. And then they're going to be slapped down or yep. if, they, if they're a business owner Black like me, I think it's 15 people who are just like her. But because we said one time, one, one girl didn't like the fact that on the call, she said, oh, I don't think we should do Breakfast Club. And this is like six, seven years ago. And I said, we shouldn't do Breakfast Club. I'm like, this is like one of the biggest urban syndicated radio shows. We should be doing it. She didn't like the fact that I challenged her on the call in front of everybody. So but what did she do? Go behind our back and say, I don't want to work with them anymore. That those microaggressions happen all the time because you said something, you disagreed, you made her uncomfortable, you challenged her. And what is her instinct to do? Cut your money off first. They're going to hurt you economically first. That is the that is the consequence of a microaggression. Make you lose that job, make you lose that promotion, make you lose that business, whatever it is. And they need to start there, because if you don't address the microaggressions that happen every single day, they will. Black people will never go up the ladder yeah. because and at some point every day, there's something to derail their upward mobility. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's not just about addressing them, though, because I think I think I feel that a lot of people, especially in the DNI space, I feel that everybody feels like they're addressing them and they're addressing. They feel that they're addressing them through these trainings. And I feel like for me, that's why there has to be structure in place, rules, laws, policies, whatever the fuck you want to call them. That's why that has to be in place because there should be no, it's never happened to me. There should be no reason that one person, one person can have all this power and just saying, I'm afraid or I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, 
everything around you crumbles to the ground because now nobody wants to fuck with you off mm-hmm. of the voice of one person. Off of the there voice needs to be a way to democratize how we choose our vendors, how we choose our, our employees and how we choose our clients. Because if we don't, the people that remain in power are still gonna be the are still gonna have the only voice that matters when it comes to deciding who to work with. And to me, that becomes the call to action to inclusion leaders is to stop worrying about changing people's minds and get to the root of how to stop that. And it's not by stopping people. We can't control people. That's not what we are doing. We are not here to control people. We have to control a system that is tangible. We can look at it, we can see it, and we can structure it. And that's how that has to work. You know, I think what, it's you, beyond you, policy, though. But go yeah. ahead, Simeon. Yeah, because you mentioned power, and that was one of the things that came up on the call today. Because uh, I guess somebody posed a question about DNI people in DNI positions not having any power, and that was one of the things that was addressed. They said, "Well, you know, if you're just the one black person with this C-suite title in a room full of twenty white people, there's a good chance that you don't have any power." But Kai and I, we were talking yesterday, and I said. So I said, well, if you're serving the people, and I think this is a thing that we really need to like drill home, is that if you are a DNI person, you are serving the people. And if you are serving the people, the people give you power, right? Yeah. The more that people, us, people like us and the people that you that you work to serve, understand the challenges that you have and what it is that you're trying to do, and that you're actually advocating for the things that they need they will back you up. And I think to to the point of the celebrities, I think it's a matter, it's it's a point of insecurity that they don't believe that black people and people of color have the power to back them up and make sure that when they're advocating for them, that shit will actually change. Because all I keep hearing is who has the power to make shit happen, right? And if you're talking to the people and you're getting what the people want, and this is what we were talking about yesterday about your role, the reason why I think people fear you, and th- that's how I say, like people are looking at you as somebody who is is powerful, is because the people talk to you, right? The people know you. You're, the people are telling you Not what it is that they, yeah, to you, uh-huh. yeah. The people are telling you what they what they need, and the other people who are on these calls, they don't know the people, mm-hmm. which is why they keep going back to the drawing board with the same old shit that doesn't work, because they're not listening to the people whoever has the people in their pocket and is going to be the one who has the most power. Personally, I think that the, the point that Kai made about, um, you know, not addressing it with policy that can go work up to a certain point. I still think that you're going to have to get to your point, a point to Simeon's point. A, there has to be a cross section of policy changes as well as a collective group of people at that company who say these microaggressions will not be tolerated yeah. from this point moving yeah. forward. And then something will change because those aggressions are happening every day, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, when you have a real talk conversation with even a diversity executive, they're always afraid of rocking the boat, of pushing too hard, of, oh, they're not going to like this, of, oh, I can't let them see this. And that's because they know the consequences of those microaggressions and what happens when you challenge the wrong person yeah. or when you, you know, you, we've, as an, as an agency, we've never gone into a business anywhere where the head of marketing and the head of communications and PR had respect for the diversity executive. There's yeah. been times when the diversity executive has brought in a team of people and the marketing people waited 
until the meeting was over to show up, pop their head in. And that person turned all kinds of purple, red, blue, green, because we got a chance to see that their their respect level internally is not really there like that. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it cannot be just the job of the diversity person because they're already on a wing and a prayer every day as it is. Um, if they if they get out of their their role, and in my opinion, as a person who is very action based and action oriented, the only role I see is they are like you know a professional panelist, right? They make panels internally. They make they go sit on panels at every conference and that kind of thing. And it's nothing wrong with keeping the conversation going, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But when is the action coming forth so that 20 years from now, 30 years from now, um, young, fired up, hungry, ambitious black women don't have to be having this conversation. We, we owe it to them that yeah. this is one battle they won't have. They may have a different battle, but just not this one. And so I think that internally there has to be a point where just like everything all around them in the social justice and criminal justice world, in, in, in Hollywood, everywhere, everybody's having a moment of reckoning. They have to get to the point where it's like, this cannot continue because it just won't be tolerated. It won't. As long as it's tolerated, it will continue. But yeah. young people at an organization, they need to get together and, 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 and be the catalyst for change by saying, this isn't acceptable anymore. Like, you know, these, and when you see something happen, to either call it out or every time that woman who is challenged wants to cut somebody's money off or block their promotion or whatever, that needs to be thoroughly vetted and qualified. Why yeah. do you want to block their promotion? Why shouldn't they be in this meeting? How come you want to fire this person? Yeah. It should be a bigger explanation than just, you know, whatever she's going to put on paper to try to set that person up. Yeah. It should be a, you know, okay, this makes sense to me after You've thoroughly listed why this person can't be an asset to this company at all. I yeah. just think that, you know, those are the only ways it's going to happen. And I've always wondered why a diversity and inclusion person, it seems like the very last thing on their list of, um, of deliverables in the gig, that they make sure that they force the company to spend money with um, African-American owners, right? I'm always about the owner. Because I feel like we all need to be opening up businesses, no matter what they are, construction, mm -hmm. you know, I, unfortunately, all of the black businesses that do well are making shampoo and makeup and stuff like that. But we should be in every industry. We should be making candles and plates and, you know, doing all of those things and having our own big box retailers. But if we never force these corporations that have billions of dollars to spend a percentage of it with African-American owners, what is the point of your job? If you're just an extension of HR and your only function yeah. is to worry about hiring and never to say, how much money are we allocating to African-American owners? And not just people yeah. who make t-shirts and pencils and who lay carpeting, but how many, how much, how much of this budget is going to service-based African-American owned businesses? Like, what is the point? Is there really diversity if you don't have vendors that you can point to that are um, valued, um, that they get a significant portion of the budget. Like to me, I'm all about putting your money where your mouth is. And, and we do it every day with our clients. When we say, 
how are you not spending money with black media companies when you spend this amount of money with Vanity Fair or People Magazine or whatever? Then you challenge them and say they don't have the same reach. How would they get the same reach when they're not working with the same budget? Like, how would they do that if you never support them? You want them to get the reach and then you'll come to the table. You didn't do that for Us Weekly or whoever, whatever publication it is, New York Times, whatever. We always are like, you have to invest in them too, not just keep coming to them, asking them to buy your products, asking them to watch your shows, asking them to buy your music or buy your phone, your new phones, whatever it is. Don't keep asking for something if you can't invest in them too. That's really important. And these are things that are tolerated every day by black people on the inside. It cannot be that way moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I, ahead, I, I was about to say we could do final words because like all of oh, yeah. this is great. Um, I mean, my, my final thought is basically the same energy that white women brought to Time's Up and Diet Madison Avenue where they were like, we're not going to tolerate this shit anymore. Like you have to do something. And that something was to fire those men who did that shitty shit. That's the same energy that I want from people in DNI positions where mm-hmm. it's not going to be tolerated. You can't pacify it. You can't justify it. You can't continue to bury bodies and think that people won't find out where they're buried. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want that unapologetic, unpacification energy when it comes to the issues that affect us and how we're going to progress economically within this industry. 100%. I mean, my point, my point is going to continue to be accountability and this idea that we have to offer grace to people who literally have the power to, at a whim, chain, make change in a way that allows for more Black success. If, you're gonna, if we're going to continue to keep giving people grace and, and accepting slow change and accepting mediocrity, then I need to then point the finger at us as an inclusion discipline, because then it is my fault and it is your fault that there is no change because I can't, I can't stand the fact that anyone thinks after COVID hit and the industry did something that a year ago they said would never happen and everybody went remote in a matter of a day. It was a decision that happened in one day to turn global holding companies and corporations into remote functioning businesses. If you can make that kind of change in a day about a work style, we can make that kind of change in a day about getting more black people and people of color. But for our conversation, more black people and more black vendors and more black executives into these roles where they're where they belong. Otherwise, from a DNI perspective, we're not doing anything but drilling in the holes for the nails to keep the glass ceiling above us. And if we're holding that glass ceiling in place, then that's counterproductive to our jobs. And quite frankly, maybe we are no longer necessary if we can't make change. There's never a point where a client can come to you and ask you to do something for them. And for 25 years, you've never been able to deliver. For 35 years, you've never been able to deliver. For 50 years, you've never been able to deliver and still keep your job and Mm -hmm. be able to sustain yourself. That's unacceptable. And we need to do better. We need to call each other out to do better. I prefer to do it, you know, without, not in front of company, but don't push me. (laughs) But like, we really have to hold a mirror to ourselves that maybe we really 
maybe we're doing our best, but our best isn't good enough. And so maybe we do need to dig a little deeper and try something a little different. Yes. Um, so with that being said, Shantae, thank you for joining us again. Yes, I needed this energy today. Shout out, listen. Because they tried to make me feel like I was crazy. <laughs> Can I add two more things really quickly? Of yeah. course. Okay, so one of the things, because I always like to leave people with some type of action, something they can write down. If you find yourself in a DNI role at an advertising um, or marketing or PR company, um, ask yourself two questions, right? And really think about it every time and apply these two questions to everything. Number one is the average chief marketing officer gets 18 months to, be, to produce some serious results. What is it about the DNI department that it can go on for 40 years with black people saying there's no senior level black executives, right? Ask yourself, why would that be? What, what, what is this company getting from the DNI department that it's okay for us to keep on, you know, keeping on with the status quo? That must mean that the status quo is serving someone in here. Mm-hmm. Who is that someone? Think about that every time you, and you apply that for real, because you'll you'll start to hear language that serves the status quo. The second question is really think to yourself, if they eliminated every single DNI gig in this company, where would I go? Where, what would be my path to for acceleration? Because if you can't think of one, then it's your job to make sure that we're, they're talking about that and that one is created, right? So think of even, even, your, if, even if you're not the head of the department, have a conversation with the head of the department and say, if they got rid of every DNI gig under Omnicom or under wherever, and I mean, you know, you pick the company, but if they got rid of every DNI gig, where else would I go? Is there a role for me to, 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 excel to a C-suite title? Could could I possibly fit into a marketing role, a communications role, an operations role, a legal role, financial role, wherever that is, and actually move up? Is that even possible or would I not even be considered for that? Because once you start to think about that, then you start to realize how limited your opportunity is, that it's only in one place. And then think about why that is and why and ask, ask people who are at the senior level, like where would say black senior executives fit if there was no DNI department? Could they could they run the marketing department? Is that possible? I'm sure we all remember when Bozma was working at Uber and she and, and they, that, that article came out saying that she was going to be Uber savior or something like that at her diversity savior. And she was like, oh, my God, I was horrified by that that headline on the article. Um, I can't remember. I think it might have been New York Times, but I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly who wrote the article, but I felt everything that she was saying about that because they automatically assumed she was a diversity person and that was not even her role. (laughs) And that is how bananas it is that, you know, people automatically assume a senior ranking black person is in the diversity department or or they have the task of diversity initiatives. And she's like, I'm head of brand management. What the hell is that? Like, they don't even know the difference or try to understand the difference. She might be the first, which it, it, it blows my mind how many times every day black people are still able to say, 
They're the first at this and that in the year 2020. Yes. Dion. But like she might be the first, but she was not in a diversity role whatsoever. And, you know, it's, it's because there are so many diversity people out there who are blind to the idea of what the main mission is. But instead, they, the first thing they do is go hire a publicist and go do the panel circuit that now we have even the media trained to think that when they see a high ranking black person, they must be in the diversity department. And if you can't think of a way that you would move up in your company, unless if you're in the diversity department, you have some serious conversations to have. Also, think to yourself, do we support African-American owners, vendors? How much money do we spend with them? And I don't mean the people who are you're ordering pencils or T-shirts and things like that. How many service-based African-American owned businesses does that company spend money with? Because that's what Alexis Ohanian did today. Like, where's my money going? Am I supporting the community? Like, I need to do something about this. This is bad. Instead of saying, oh, how can I help? Put your money where your mouth is. That's how you can help. I mean, you know, start putting some money to owners so that their businesses last as long as their mainstream counterparts. Um, and, and, and higher, I mean, you have to be, it, it's sometimes it is a conscious effort at our, at our company. We definitely, I don't care if it is the phone photo booth company, the photographer, the people who set up the red carpet, the sound guy, everybody I'm looking for vendors that don't normally get a lot of business and who are usually forgotten because they don't have a big operation. And you, you know, those kinds of conscious decisions will make a difference in any organization and, and infecting other people with that kind of mindset. Like you should be thinking about this every time we do something, anything, who yeah. can we, who can we hire? Is this person usually getting our business? Do we keep going to the same people all the time with our business? Why, why do we do that? How come we can't expand the where we're spending our money? So just, those are three questions to ask yourself, you know, when you're in your everyday role, because those, those answers to those questions should give you chills. Yes. hundred percent. So thank you, Shantae, for joining us today. Sim, thanks for, thanks for doing a two for this week. I know it's been a lot. We've been going through emotionally drained. I'm trying to um, figure out what kind of bottle of wine I'm going to purchase and indulge on this couch. Um, no wine I, for me. I know I'm gonna have it for you with you in mind. You. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but for, you know, just so everybody knows it's a lot going on. Be kind to yourselves, please yes. be considerate of your black employees and yes. their emotional and mental states. Like just be nice to everybody, but also like, let's hold each other accountable and make actual change. It's not for, it's not for play play it's for real. So with that being said, we're close. Don't just be nice. Listen. And when listen. they speak, listen, hear it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. You're right. Um, so you guys know where to find us. We're on all the social medias at Ask Mixed Company. We're on all the podcast platforms. That's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, what else are we on these days? Google. Google Spotify. as well as Spotify. Yeah. Um, and you can find us there. And we will holler at y'all later. Peace. Later, guys. Peace.